Welcome to Sofa Security Chat Chat, episode 150 for the 4th of June, 2014. I'm Chester Wisniewski, here once again with Paul Ducklin. Welcome, Paul. Hello, Chester. All the way from sunny Vancouver for once. Yes, it is uh, fantastic here. And I wanted to congratulate you on uh, the one-year anniversary of the 60-second security uh, video series you've been doing for us on our YouTube channel. Uh, Nice work. Yes, it sort of crept up on me unnoticed. I only realized after I did the last one. Regular viewers will know that I normally I normally pitch it as a series of questions. And then the idea is watch the video and get all the answers. Like, how long has this bug been in the Linux kernel? Four years. Uh, and this time I pitched a bunch of questions, but they were all ones where, to me, the interesting thing was there wasn't an answer. For example, a breach notification where the law had obviously been complied with, we knew about it, but we just didn't have enough information to go on. And people complained, sort of implying that I should pick different stories, ones where we do know the answer, and if we don't know the answer, then sweep it under the carpet. And I guess there's nothing more strange and perhaps under the carpet in the last week than this whole true crypt mystery, is there? Yeah, that, that, well, I guess it winked out of existence the same way as it, in my opinion, surprisingly appeared when it, when it came about 10 years ago. And that I don't know that a lot of people recognize that TrueCrypt was um, anonymously developed. Uh, we, we've never known a positive identity for the author or authors behind the software, which when we're talking about something designed to protect our data from prying eyes always seemed a bit odd to me that that you might trust someone who you don't know who they are if they're a they even at all and um, another I guess misconception that was brought about by a lot of this to folks was that it wasn't really open source it was uh, source available which may sound like a nuance of English but the reality is uh, you know TrueCrypt is freeware uh, you're free to use it in the way that it's presented uh, by its author or authors. But um, if they decide you can't have it anymore, even though you can see the source code, that doesn't necessarily mean you have a right to continue developing it or, or using it in the way they originally offered it. And it's surprising, really, that there seem to be so many people who go, oh, we can't let it die. We have to carry on. You know, it's got this majestic history because it's been developed anonymously and because it's now shut down abruptly. It's insecure, don't use it, switch to BitLocker, game over. At this point, there's nobody who could come forward and actually say, yes, guys, here is the true story. If someone now comes out and says, oh, yeah, it was a hack, why would we believe them? So my comment on Naked Security was either what was on their website, that the product's over, is true, in which case it's all over explicitly, or it wasn't true, in which case it's all over implicitly because it's going to be very hard to want to trust any part of it again. That's my feeling anyway. Yeah, um, you know, I, th- I think folks will be suspicious of uh, people like us that, you know, work for a vendor that has a product that plays in that space. But uh, I think, it, you know, to me, it, it's just a natural response in general that, uh, you know, I may not always agree 100% of the time with Apple or Microsoft or certainly Linus Torvalds. But, you know, that doesn't mean that I can't trust, say, the encryption that's built into OS ten or Linux or Windows when, you know, there's somebody to hold accountable. I know who they are. I know, I know kind of what they have on the line. Uh, if it were to be compromised or if it had a backdoor, I can put some faith in those things. Whereas I just don't really understand the idea of 
of trusting an anonymous source with this blob of code that, from what I can tell, is is uh, th there's some sort of black magic art to even compiling it to get it to work. So you almost have to, you know, inherently trust these binary blobs you get without even having uh, a, a name behind it. It's a bit it's a bit strange. But you know, we we did do a podcast on this uh, this week to kind of talk about a bit of the story and for people that are looking for encryption solutions, some some ideas and tips on what you might want to consider when uh, evaluating protection of your data. So you can download that from our SoundCloud feed and uh, we'll have that up on the website as well. Yes, it, as you say, it's, it's difficult for people who are in the position that you and I are not to sound like ambulance chasers when it comes to something like this. But it seems that a surprising number of people had come, if not to trust TrueCrypt, at least just to use it, because it was kind of there and it was free, let's face it. And it suddenly and apparently without warning went away. You know, the developer or developers are entirely within their rights to do that. You know, whether there's a mystery or not is not important to me. If the truth is simply that they figured, you know, we've had this audit, there's an awful lot of work to do. This is like the rock of Sisyphus getting pushed uphill. I'm going to focus on the day job. I could fully understand that. Sort of a pity if that's the case that they didn't say so. So, yeah, I don't think we're ambulance chasing, are we? We're just kind of mystified that something like this could happen that apparently turns out to be so important and yet just kind of ends in a puff of smoke. Although I do reserve the right every 10 episodes of the Chat Chat uh, to, uh, to to mention products. And so I will just end this topic with sophos.com slash encryption. Game over. I heard you say the words game over while we were discussing true crypt. I thought you might notice that, and I had a sneaking feeling that you would maybe suddenly veer over to it for the next story. <laughs> yeah, a little, little, uh, you, you planted a little seed for a segue there. But, you know, the game over Zeus Trojan has long been troublesome to those of us in the, the anti malware business. And, and of course, one of the, it, it's kind of got two famous components to it in my, in my eyes, which one is, it's peer-to-peer -peer nature, which is really a bugger when you're trying to take something down, right? When the police get involved and you're able to identify components or architecture, it's hard when it's peer-to-peer. -peer. I mean, there's lots and lots of components, and it's difficult to disrupt. The other thing that Game Over Zeus was known for is that a lot of uh, people that were victimized by the CryptoLocker malware were also previously infected with Game Over Zeus, which is you know, not uncommon for malware authors to uh, offer a pay-per-install service, and so that may have been what was going on here as well. I know you were reading some of the information from the American authorities. Maybe you could share with us a little more detail around what exactly happened this week. The U.S. Department of Justice has a, a large number of documents, very well worth reading, if I may say so, uh, about what they've done, because obviously there's been a huge interest in this. They seized some servers uh, at the beginning of May, they got some information out of that. That allowed them to file some criminal charges against a chap called Bogachev, also known as Slavic or Polling Soon. So he was charged with a load of serious offences relating to fraud and racketeering. And then about 10 days after that, they went down the civil route where they got a civil court order that said, we actually want to take over uh, the core infrastructure and actually get these domain names assigned to us. Very much like what happened a couple of years ago with the DNS changer malware. And from there, they were able to go back to some of the uh, other servers that were involved in this uh, amassing evidence. And while they were about it, it seems that they may, at least temporarily, have shut down 
the servers that were required for CryptoLocker to operate. As we know, botnets have a tendency to re-emerge and get reinvented in new ways, particularly, as you say, if they're peer-to-peer ones. So it's now down to the rest of us to finish off this operation. Get rid of the bots, get rid of the zombies on your computer, on your friend's computer, your family's computer, other people if you live in a shared house. Really, if we didn't have the zombies in the first place, the infected computers, then these guys would never have been able to build this cyber criminal business empire. True. And and, and, I, and the, the contacting the crypto locker servers, I think, is an important component of that. I know that we've used that technique to uh, as kind of an emergency backup, right? If we miss the malware on somebody's machine, then our web filters and our ETM or our web filters and our uh, web filtering products are able to, you know, hopefully at least block that communication and prevent those keys from getting transmitted. For folks that are interested in checking their machines uh, for infection, of course, we have the free Sophos virus removal tool, right? So folks can download that and give their machine a scan without even removing their existing antivirus. Uh, yes, that's a neat way of just, you just grab the one package, it gets the very latest updates, and it does a one-time scan of your computer. It doesn't just look for crypto locker or game over. It'll look for any and all of the malware that Sophos Antivirus knows about, including rootkits, including the rootkit that often goes along with Game Over that's supposed to make it hard to find. So it's a good way of doing a, a, getting a sort of second opinion, if you like. Now, there was another story this week that I think was surprising to a lot of folks, uh, that it's the 10-year anniversary of the discovery of the first, I guess, in-the-wild mobile malware. and. To a lot of people, that might be a little surprising in that the twinkle of the iPhone and Apple Steve Jobs eye uh, really didn't occur until, you know, 2006, 2007, when we started seeing iPhones and Androids and just emerging into the market. And yet malware existed even before that. Uh, Do you want to take us for a stroll down memory lane? For the first few years, it didn't look as though the crooks were that interested because I guess they hadn't really figured out a way to make money. Because if you think the first mobile virus it was, Kabir, also known as Karibe, came out for Symbian, spread via Bluetooth. It was really a kind of, hey, look how clever I am. There wasn't any way anyone was going to make any money out of it. But it was several years before things unfortunately came to the point that I think the crooks realised there really is money to be made out of it. Sadly mainly out of Android, where things were a bit more open by design than on the Apple iOS platform, and where crooks are realising that they can just copy what's worked on Windows computers. In fact, in one case, the Kohler malware, ransomware, that came out this year, it looks like it's the same guys who were doing the the infamous Reviton malware on PCs two years ago, you know, which says, oh, the police have found that you've done a crime and now you can send us money and we'll make it all go away. And of course, the other really key thing that uh, crooks are waking up to is that increasingly people are using their mobile devices as the second factor in their two-factor authentication system, either with an authenticator application or with uh, SMSs. And it turns out that it's surprisingly easy, programmatically, to create an Android app which will basically eat SMSs for breakfast and send the contents to a third party. There's probably a lot of folks out there like me as well, where, you know, your mobile may even be more valuable than your, you know, your desktop computer. I mean, I I keep my work life and my home life reasonably separate in that 
you know, I access my home email and my online banking and things on a computer that I own that's at my house. And I access my work email and all of my projects for naked security and all this office things I do on my work laptop. Yet on my phone, those two worlds come together, right? If you can own my phone, you suddenly have the ability to password reset my personal email and my work email and lots of other things that they all, you know, they all kind of cross paths on my mobile phone. Yes. And there's absolutely no reason why if a crook is able to control your mobile device and say, get those two factor codes or stuff that you normally only put in on your mobile phone, there's no reason why instead of sending it to some server where it can be sold on for reuse later, which of course doesn't really work with one-time passcodes, they have a limited lifetime, um, instead send it to some companion malware that happens to be running on your desktop or your laptop computer. It may sound terribly complicated, but it isn't really when you look at the, the lengths that things like the Game Over crew and the Crypto Locker crew have done to use the cloud to make their malware work, peer-to-peer -peer spreading the uh, server backend for the encryption, all of that stuff. If you predicted that 10 or 15 years ago, people would probably have shrugged and said, no, it's too hard. They'll never get that far. Well, they've got that far to the point of making hundreds of millions of dollars of ill-gotten gains. So if you've got a mobile device, it is 10 years of malware. And for half of those, you could say the bad guys were just practicing. And it looks as though they are starting to get really serious. So don't think of your mobile device as a phone. Think of it as a computer that's a bit smaller than your laptop. If it has an IP address, it will be hacked. On that note, I'm going to wrap up Software Security Chat Chat 150. I thought you liked to end on an upbeat note, Chester. That's a bit gloomy. Sadly, it's perfectly true. <laughs> Unfortunately, we're out of time. <laughs> on that note, I am going to conclude Software Security Chat Chat 150. As always, for the latest security news, please visit nakedsecurity.sophos.com. For our podcast, you can get those on iTunes, you can get those over RSS, or you can get those via soundcloud.com slash Until next time, stay secure.